all of our revenue teams, our sales, marketing, customer success, service will not only be in our CRM, our HubSpot, and marketing automation. And that would be, and naturally you would need somebody that has that holistic view of the entire revenue cycle, the go-to-market cycle. So it was a natural fit for someone like me to go from just handling marketing operations to handling the revenue operations. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. Today, my guest is Surujan Joshi. He's the Revenue Operations Lead at VentMobi. Surujan's career is taken from building and implementing CRM projects through to now leading the Revenue Operation, supporting revenue teams. Surujan, it's a pleasure. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Lee? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, fantastic. And really interested to dig into a little bit more around your kind of your career, your history, and, and also a bit more around the work that you're doing with EventMobi at the minute. I've given you a little bit of an introduction there, but for everyone listening, I'm sure they'd love to hear it in your words. What is your story? I, like you said, I currently run the revenue operations at EventMobi. And, you know, RevOps, I stumbled upon this in my career. It was never really planned. So to take you back, I took this course in uh, in college called CRM, Customer Relationship Management. At the time, didn't really know much about it. But then when I started taking the course, it was something that caught my interest. It was a very interesting course. And after I graduated, one of the professors that taught that course ended up hiring me for to work at his consulting firm. And this is it could really the beginning of my journey where I started to get exposure into the CRM ecosystem. We partnered with HubSpot at the time and we started to provide onboarding and implementation services to our clients. It's a very rewarding, it started off as a very rewarding job. That's where I got my exposure to a lot of the ecosystem. And funny enough, that's also where I met my wife. So CRM was something that was very true to me. So no, I did that for a few years. Though consulting, it was a very consulting base. And though it was very rewarding, I started, it was sort of hard to see the long-term impact that my work had. Because as I don't know if you know, but in consulting, it's very project to project based. You're finished with one, you go to the next, and you don't really get to see like the impact your work had. You're just thinking to yourself, like, did I really have an impact or am I just kind of going through the motions and on to the next one? So I really wanted to look for something that was more in-house where I can see the work that I do play out over a course of time. And that really prompted me to look for a more in-house role. And because of my HubSpot and CRM background, I got hired to, uh, as a marketing operations at the company I work now, EventMobi. And a few months after working at EventMobi, we started to do a project that would integrate our main flagship product with our HubSpot. So meaning that um, after that, all of our revenue teams, our sales, marketing, customer success, service will not only be in our CRM, our HubSpot, and our marketing automation, and that would be, 
And naturally, you would need somebody that has that holistic view of the entire revenue cycle, the go-to-market cycle. So it was a natural fit for someone like me to go from just handling marketing operations to handling the revenue operations. And that's where I have been ever since then. There's somebody that way that helps align the sales, marketing, and the service teams by owning the processes, the data, and the tech stack that have an impact on the customer-facing teams. So that's just a little bit of my history of where I am now and what I do now. Amazing. And just before I really start digging a bit deeper, just for the reference of everyone listening, if they haven't come across event maybe before, could you give perhaps just an overview of what the go-to-market team looks like? So that the teams that you're supporting and also your own team. It's a very typically SaaS-based company. To give you a quick background on what event, who EventMobi is, EventMobi, we are an event management platform that allows event planners and organizers to create virtual and in-person events. So we both have a mobile app and a virtual space. And it's extremely user-friendly. It's really like your one-stop shop for all of your event needs. And our solution offers everything from event engagement, registration, mobile event apps, customizable, and branding, design, attendee analytics, all of that. So it's like a all-in-one solution. Our go-to market team is very typical. So you have your marketing function that is really responsible for the top of funnel, making sure that we're getting in a steady flow of inbound leads. And so across a lot of different channels, paid, website, events, all of those channels. And then those leads then get fed into our sales team. And our sales team is designed in a very SDR, account executive and account management function. So the SDRs are the ones that really qualify the leads that come in through from the marketing. Our account executives are the ones that further qualify, craft the solution, and eventually close the customer. And our account managers are the ones that really nurture that relationship and build that relationship over a long term. And after that, we have our services team. So a lot of, once we have a customer, our services teams, they're responsible for getting their event out. So they help them with their creating the event space, help them with any kind of issues that they have along with by running the events and to get those events out to market. So that's really our services. You can call it a success team. So it's a very traditional go-to-market team that we have set up at EventMobi. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top-performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Nice. What would you say is different about your approach to revenue operations than perhaps your peers? So that might be peers in SaaS or peers in B2B or even broader. I don't think there may be anything much different. But what I like to really do is I like to, any kind of challenge that I come across or any kind of project I come across, I like to focus in on the people processes and technology and the overall strategy that impacts the business altogether. 
So for example, before starting any project, I think the one thing that a lot of DevOps people don't usually tend to do because they're very like focused on the technology and the processes at hand is making sure that they have the right people in place. So if you don't have the right people in place with the right incentive structure to help achieve that business goal, then the entire project or whatever you're doing is going to fail. So number one, I like to make sure that if you're starting a project, let's say if you're building like an outbound channel, like outbound sales team, you want to first start with the people. Do we have the right sales team with the right it's compensation program in place that's going to help achieve that a revenue goal? Once we have that in place and kind of the strategy in place, then you can move on to the things like processes and the technology. So the processes would be around like, okay, if you're building an outbound channel, what does that, I start defining the process. What's an outbound lead? How will the new outbound process look like? It's like a discovery, demo, close, really map it out once you have the people in place. And then finally get down to, okay, what technologies, what tech stack do you actually need to help make this into a reality? So what does your adoption plan look like? Do you need to invest in a new technology? Do you need to create new processes within the existing technologies that you have? So that's really like the focus on that. And I find that a lot of the times, a lot of rev ops, they kind of start bottom up. They, they start figuring out, okay, what tech stack do we have? What processes do we have and what people? And I think if you do that, go the other way around, you end up failing on the entire project that you have at hand. Are you able to maybe give an example of a, I'm really interested in your point around going from the people first. And I'd love to get a little bit more specific of perhaps what you're looking for, like within the people or choosing the right people for a project that you're working on. So is that, what is it within those people that you're searching for? Is it characteristics? Is it experience? I'd love to hear. That's a good question. It has to do with whatever project that's at hand. So I can give you a great example of the mistakes that I made and how I, when I focus on people, finding the right people, that how that project was a success. So one of the, you know, at EventMobi, we, a few years ago, we were heavily inbound focused. So almost majority of our revenue was influenced from our marketing team that brought in the leads. And a couple of years ago, we had the idea of creating an outbound channel. So this is a way of giving our sales team a little bit of revenue responsibility, which was so they're not so heavily dependent on marketing. And one of the first things that we did when we had this project to complete is we started to look into the different types of technologies. Like, okay, we could, we're starting an outbound. We have HubSpot. We need something for data. Let's look into things like Zoom Info, ClearBit. Okay, how do we run this cadence? Okay, let's look into outreach. Let's look at the gong. Let's everything like that. So we were really excited to get these like new tech stack, you know, for, uh, invest into these new technologies to start this outbound program without really looking into, do we even have the right people in place? That's what we did. So we bought all the cool new shiny objects. We looked into, and then we got some people from our inbound sales team onto our outbound, onto our new outbound team. And we started running just campaigns, just kind of shooting wherever we saw an opportunity. A few months into it, we didn't really get the results that we were hoping for. And that partly, and the big reason why is because we had the right tech stack. We made, we even had the right processes in place, but we had people from our inbound team that were now responsible for the outbound. So the incentives weren't really there. So as an inbound salesperson that is just focused on working leads that come in, as an inbound salesperson or account executive, why do I care about 
prospecting and going out and finding new leads when I know I'm getting like 20 leads from marketing every week. There was no incentive for me to work and try to for a prospect and generate my own leads. If I did, great. If I didn't, I don't really care because we had them. I had leads coming in on a daily basis to work from. So it didn't really matter. So that was the number one problem is that, is that the people we had in place to run this new project, their incentive wasn't there. So what we then what we did was we started to look out in the market and try to hire specifically an outbound person that obviously had their outbound that had outbound experience. And we also changed the compensation structure of their plan to incentivize more prospecting. And once we had that, once we found the right person who had the right experience and we had the right compensation plan, then we were able to kind of go back to the drawing board, put together the new process. We had the tech stack already, but this time we had the right person and we were able to relaunch the outbound program. And after that, we started to see success. So to your question, like what you have to look for is like, obviously experience is the right one, depending on whatever project you're, or product or business outcome you're looking to achieve. But the more important thing is to have that right incentive in place to help them achieve that mm. goal. Yeah, a really, really helpful and a beautiful example as well of using it in practice. What was it about that commission structure for prospecting that really started to move the dial? Um, I'm interested, uh, maybe don't need like numbers specifically, but what kind of areas were you looking at in terms of that structure that really started to get results in? The main area that we were looking to, uh, we were looking at are, so the way that a lot of account executives are paid in other companies are obviously how much business they close. That's the one big incentive. But for SDRs and BDRs, a lot of how they are paid is how many meetings they book. Now, with our inbound team, a lot of those leads are coming in through our marketing enemies. So they are paid based on how many demos that they push through, right? So how many demos they push through the account executives, meaning that how good are they at qualifying their prospect? That's an inbound. With uh, this outbound rep, what looked different is kind of the same structure. Instead of demos, it was mostly focused on how many qualified meetings are you to generate with cold contacts? So... If you're hunting, you're going out trying to find new prospects, how many discovery calls are you able to generate? And of those discovery calls, how many of them are you able to convert into qualified demos? And obviously on the qualified demos, the percentage of how much an outbound BDR would make is more than inbound because they're putting in more work to generate those demos versus an inbound rep that is not that has leads uh, coming into them, but that I have to have leads flowing in. So the percentage of the commission on the demos they booked for an outbound rep was a little bit more than an inbound rep. That was kind of the key factor here that really helped grow that program. Yeah, I love that. Let me roll us up out of the, the rabbit hole for a second and switch tact. From the last 12 months, what project, initiative, hire, are you most proud of? One area that I'm particularly happy that we are able to take the organization from is before in the last 12 months, I'm pretty new to this role too. So in the last 12 months, there are a few silos in the department. Sorry, in our revenue teams, there were a few silos. So sales and marketing, they were pretty well aligned, right? That was pretty good. But when it came to our services, our success teams, there was a little bit of data silo. And by that, I mean that they worked out of different applications that didn't necessarily speak with each other. 
And with any kind of data silo, it made collaborative work really hard because obviously if it's hard for you to, if it's difficult to share data, the ability to collaborate naturally, it suffers. And not only that, every department or every revenue team that were not sales or marketing, they kind of had their own view of their view of data was very limited to what they did, right? And they did not really have that holistic view because again, uh, they worked out of different applications. Some of them were Airtable. A long time ago, we had our service teams working out of Zendesk instead of HubSpot, which is our kind of source of truth. So what we did in the last few months is that we really started to focus on a solid CRM integration strategy. And that what that meant is taking all of these separate customer apps that don't speak with each other and finding a way to integrate that into our main CRM or marketing automation hotspot. So what that meant was a lot of these applications like outreach and some things that you didn't really need, like for outreach, feedback surveys, our main flagship product that had product usage data and really focusing on, okay, how do we take all of these separate apps and start integrate all of them into HubSpot? So all everybody on their revenue team will have like a, a holistic view of everything. So they're not working out of different places. Ultimately, what this helped, what it helped do is that it made collaboration between sales, marketing, service, success much easier. And it started to become way more collaborative than it was before. Amazing. Do you maybe have an example of perhaps something that became a lot more collaborative and what impact that had for you guys? One of the key examples is integrating our product, our flagship product with HubSpot. So the way it worked before was that when a salesperson sold a software credit, let's say like event, we call it event credit, the salesperson would then have to speak with the success uh, rep to let them know like, hey, here's what we sold. They, this, the customer purchased three credits for their three events. This is what you need to provision. Then the success rep would then take that information and then go into our product and they would then provision those credits, book the onboarding call, let them know that, hey, the, your event credits are now in, in the product. Here's your login, here's and everything like that. So it was very like taking it from one area and taking putting it to the next area. The success, the sales reps didn't know how it looked like on the, for the most part, didn't know how it looked like on the product side. And the success reps didn't really know how the, that deal or the opportunity was set up on the HubSpot side. So what we did was that we took our product flagship and we, our product, uh, product and we integrated that with HubSpot. So what that looked like is once the sales is, when that opportunity is closed, we were able to directly provision whatever credits they purchased directly from HubSpot into our product. So that kind of closed the gap between the communication. This way, the success rep knew exactly what was sold to the product, what kind of services they needed. It was all there. And the salesperson would know that, okay, these are all the credits that be sold and these are the credits are now being passed on. And not only that is all of the product usage data. So all of the product usage data, not all of it, but some of it uh, in terms of what services were enabled, what features were enabled for the customer would all sync back to HubSpot. And what this would do is like, now that we have this information in HubSpot, marketing is also able to run very specific marketing campaigns to specific products. So this kind of elevated our not only did it help improve collaboration between sales and success, 
it also helped elevate our marketing campaigns. Oh, I love this. <laughs> I guess from a marketer's perspective, you're, you're starting to come really full circle with that, right? Right. Because that's taking what is essentially your first party data, feeding it back into the campaigns themselves. I'm super curious, what campaigns do you then run against those with your marketing team? Is it using that data to target or is it more complex than that? It's a lot of customer marketing. So we have way more insights on what kind of events our customers are. So like knowing the types of events our customers are running is important being like an event management company. What kind of events they're running? Is it a conference? Is it a sales meeting or sales kickoff? It, that's important to us. Let, giving us the, letting us know like, hey, what features are you currently using? Right? So if you're not using a specific feature, that's enabled in our configuration, then as customer marketing, we want to help you use that product. We know exactly what features that are enabled, which are disabled. And this way we know what kind of campaigns to run after you. So specifically customer marketing, it elevated that quite a bit. Beautiful. Moving into 2024, as we are recording it, second week of Jan right now, given what you've done in the role so far, what are your goals for 2024? What are you really hoping to achieve now that you've, by the sounds of it, got that foundations in place and you get into a point where you've really got a system of truth? What are you hoping to now do with that? My main focus in 2024, and seems like this is a focus for a lot of revenue operations folks that I come across in my, in my little forum that I'm part of, is that they're really trying to improve their organization's analytics maturity model. So if you're familiar with the Gardner's analytics maturity model, where you kind of have like five stages of an organization, this is like one side of the, or the first stage is a very unstructured organization where you don't really have the data, you can't track audience engagement, you lack the technology and analytics and skills on one side. And on the other side of the maturity model, you have a very prescriptive model where an organization is able to answer the question of, okay, what should we do next? So they're able to identify suggested, uh, well, they're able to identify suggested actions from predictive data, and they're able to have a distinct access to raw data, reporting, and tactical, all of that information. So the way the my focus this year is try to move the needle and go more towards the prescriptive side of our analytical maturity model. And what that looks like is really focusing in on bringing in more data points into an organization. So this would help our revenue teams leverage a lot of the data that they have and drive really actionable behavior. So bringing in a lot more data points for all of our revenue teams, what that looks like is, for example, in our organization, it's important to know how many members our customers have because a lot of our customers are associations. So we need to know, okay, how many members does your association have? Because that plays a huge role in the types of products you will purchase from us. So having that data point in. So that's one of the things we're working on is like all of these key data points that are important for us, for the business to grow. How do we bring them in into our database? And once we bring them in, how do we obviously make sure they're accurate, they're consistent? And not only that, how do we get our revenue teams to start using this data? So it's one thing having these data points in our CRM It's another thing about having our revenue teams, the people that work with customers on a day-to-day basis, actually leverage it. Because if they don't know how to leverage the how many members we have, 
for our customers into selling more or driving more revenue, then it's kind of pointless. So that's kind of the area that I'm looking at. And obviously continue to get rid of a lot of data silos. Like if there's new applications that if there are applications that our teams are using and they're not talking back to our CRM, then how do I get them to start? How do we integrate those? So LinkedIn Navigator is another example that we're looking into right now. So sales are account managers, they use LinkedIn Navigator heavily. Our teams were trying to get them to use it heavily. But the problem with that is with the current integration with HubSpot, it's not the best. So how do we move that into HubSpot? So essentially, the goal for me this year is like, okay, how do we take our organization that kind of falls in the middle, in my opinion, of the analytics maturity model? We're very diagnostic. So we are able to answer the question of, you know, why did something happen? We can see correlation and causation and try to move that more into more of a predictive, prescriptive model where we're not only able to predict trends by analyzing past data, but we're also able to be extremely prescriptive with actions. I love that. And uh, I would yeah. love to hear how that goes later in the year as well. So maybe we'll have to get you back once you've had a chance to really start to roll some of that out. I want to ask a question like less specific to your day-to-day, more on revenue operations as a whole. What would you say is the biggest misconception of revenue operations? So, you know, RevOps, like, you know, it's a relatively new role. A lot of organizations are still trying to, I would still say in 2024, still trying to figure out where exactly does this function fit within the organization. And the biggest misconception that I see nowadays is that, hey, RevOps is only for startups. It's not for bigger companies. It's only if you're a startup, if you're growing, it's only for you. While it is true that RevOps was initially created for startups, you're seeing it now being adopted by businesses of all sizes and stages. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, it's not just startups that are looking to have teams that run more efficiently and effectively to consistently hit targets, right? Everyone is looking to build sustainable growth. And though that's kind of the misconception that I see a lot, I do at the same time see a lot of larger businesses looking for this role. They may not call it rail ops, they might call it sales ops or whatever the case may be, or data and revenue ops. It's still needed for higher companies, other bigger companies, because you need to build a more effective and efficient revenue cycle. And the other misconception that I also come across is that they oftentimes conflate rail ops with sales ops. Now, I can see where this confusion comes from. It's primarily caused by the word revenue. So people, they just view that, hey, RevOps is just another name for sales ops. And though they're not the same, obviously sales ops is very specifically focused on the operations of the sales team. And RevOps is focused, it takes a more holistic view, right? So focusing not only on sales operations, but also marketing and CX operations. So... In another word, you can see sales off is viewed as a subset as for RevOps. But in reality, it's really just like a holistic approach. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top-performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, Sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. 
That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. If I may on your first point, I think I'll offer my perspective from doing about 60 of these episodes. So I think it's what you described is a common perception, although having spoken to RevOps at both from startup companies right the way through to even going into enterprise as companies, often the challenge is I think it's easier. Most people that I talk to speak to the importance of bringing it in early. And why it's so important to bring it in early is often related to tech debt. It's often related to no one else is assuming responsibility for it. So you're able to take responsibility for a lot of the functions that revenue operations typically does. And I think the it tends to flourish a lot more when it's brought in early and is able to really establish itself because it takes time. And in larger organizations, the one thing often holding it back, and there's a couple of conversations that come to mind as I say this, that a lot of the, usually the responsibility that revenue operations has is has often been assumed by someone else at that time. And so to the point that you're making, sometimes it's business operations, which is bit more of like a legacy function. I've seen it in enterprise size companies where just the IT team is just responsible for the whole of the CRM, despite not looking at it in the same way. And it's a lot of these legacy pieces that often are so well set in stone that make it so hard to bring in at that stage. So I guess my prediction almost for 2024 is that that misconception will start to change more and more over time because I think a lot more businesses are aware of it. But the challenge is being able to bring that in in a way that doesn't cause too much disruption. Like you said, it's really a difference between starting a new, starting like creating a foundation versus working with foundation that already exists, like in bigger businesses. Startups, you can come in, you start with a fresh slate, you're sort of building things from ground up. And then the bigger businesses, it's like, like you said, there's legacy people there, uh, functions there, and you try to have to work. You have to tweak the processes that are there rather than like revamping the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. One final question, Surujan. What is one book that you would recommend to other revenue leaders? One, maybe this, I would recommend this to everybody that's not necessarily just RevOps, but one book I would recommend, uh, it's a funny title, it's called Getting Naked by Patrick Lunosi. I think that's how you pronounce his name. It basically is teaching you on how you can, as a business professional, how it's important to be vulnerable and it's okay to not know things at all times. And it's important to kind of let your guard down, be open to the fact that you're not, you know, you don't know everything. And this will help you as a professional to learn more, to grow more in your career because you're not coming from a place of, I know everything. And if I admit to somebody that I don't know something, it's going to make me look bad. So it's a, I would recommend this book for anybody that's in their career. It doesn't really have to be RevOps, but any person that's looking to grow their career, I think that changed a lot for me ever since reading it. Awesome. I love that recommendation and completely concur with your learnings from it. Srijan, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting all things revenue operations today. And um, just before we wrap up, for anyone listening, perhaps they've got questions, perhaps you've piqued their curiosity and want to learn a little bit more, where can they find you? They can find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. Um, Srijan Joshi, you can find me there. I'm always looking to connect with like-minded RevOps people. Like I said earlier, this is like a new role. 
So as much as you're helping to learn from this, I'm also trying to learn from you guys. So if you're in that field or anywhere near it, if you're looking to grow in that field, I would love to help as well. But I'm also looking to learn more from you guys. Love it. I'll make sure that we put a link to that down in the show notes as well. All right, Surujan, thank you so much again. It's been a real pleasure. And to everyone that has listened this week, thank you too. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.